0: So I'm going to read verses 7 to 12 for us this morning, get us going here, and then we're going to jump jump right into it. I'm not sure how far we'll get today. That's all right. Um, We got nothing but nothing but time uh, unless we get to chapter four and then the rapture happens. And then we'll (laughs) get stuck. That's what we're praying for, though. That's what we're looking forward to. Uh, Anyways, let's read here verses 7 to 12. It tells us as Paul's writing here. Remember, chapter two, you go, this is sort of odd. Why do we need all this stuff? Why is this for us? Well, this is for us because this reminds us of Paul's ministry and his sincerity, the integrity of which he preached and ministered. But as well, it is a challenge to us to do likewise. You say, well, I'm not the Apostle Paul. No, but you have the same goal, the same spirit, the, the same uh, call to, to preach the word of God to all creatures, uh, the same commission, if you will, though we are not apostles nor anything close to apostles. Yet we should have the same goal, and that is to see souls saved, to see lives changed, to see churches planted, to see disciples made and all of these things uh, for the glory of God. And so we must be sincere as well. Now, Paul continues to, in this chapter, verse 7 to 12, to defend these things, not so that way he would come out looking good, but rather so that way his ministry would be uh, seen as, as blameless and would be seen as pointing to Christ and not to himself, but rather showing that in his sincerity, it shows the sincere faith of the gospel. It shows the sincerity of the gospel. It shows the truthfulness of the gospel. Because every part of our life must be to point back to the gospel message of Christ. It is not just to go and point back to a church or to point back to good works or moralism. We must point to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because in the gospel of Christ flows every other doctrine uh, of Scripture. And truthfully, as you study every doctrine of the Scripture, interwoven into those is-pointing, Uh, and leading us to Jesus' atoning death, burial, and resurrection. That is truthfully the only message of which Paul knew to preach, and he preached it from all the Scriptures. It is truthfully the only message that we preach. It has been said that wherever you preach in the Bible, make a beeline for the cross. We must be getting to Christ. We must be showing Jesus. That is what we need today, and that is what sincere faith looks like. That is what a sincere ministry looks like. Each one of us today, are both if you're saved today, you're a believer, and you are also a minister. It is not just the pastors, evangelists, and missionaries that are that, or deacons, or Sunday school teachers that are ministers. You are ministers and missionaries for the gospel of Christ. You might not have been called overseas, but you've been called to your workplace, to your homes, to your families, to your friends, to your neighborhood, to your neighbors, to your even to your local church, right? To your community. Uh, so therefore, your faith must be sincere, and your ministry must be sincere as well. May none of us ever do anything on our own accord, our own flesh, or for our own glory. Now, let's get into this. Verse 7 says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail; for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holy, and justly, and unblameably we have uh, behaved, or we behaved ourselves uh, among you that believe, as ye you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto His kingdom. And glory. So everything kind of leads up to verse 12, which is all of this is given and reiterated. And I'm reminding you of all these things. Why? So that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Everything that we find in our services and our preaching and our teaching and our ministries is to do exactly this, to lead us to a worthy walk of God. We are always, whether we know it or realize it or not, living before the face of God. God sees us. God knows us. And He does not just see the outside works, but He sees very much to our inner parts, to our inward motives, whether right or wrong, good or evil, bad and the ugly. He sees it. He knows it. And He cares for us that we would live sincere as the Apostle Paul here. Now, in verse number seven, Paul expresses how their ministry and motivation was that of a mother's self sacrificing ministry to their child. Now, let me go ahead and start by saying this I'm not a mom. State the obvious. Nor can I be a mom, all right? (laughs) Regardless of what society might teach today, it does not matter what I go through as a surgery, it does not matter what I think or identify as. I can never identify as a mother. Now, on the opposite side of that, that also means that a mother cannot identify and be a father. She can only be a, a mother. You see the differences between male and female, how God made that all right. Didn't think we'd have to address that too much. I figured you already kind of got that solidified. That's good. We'll save that for the other churches out there or whoever else in society, okay? Now, get into verse 7, notice this, though. He says, but we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Most of the time when you see, I don't know, sitcoms or even just in your own personal life, normally who's the gentle one with the child? The mother or the father? Normally the mother, right? But who's normally the rough one? Father, right? Maybe not necessarily in a bad way. Rough sounds rough, okay? But the idea here is there is something about a tender Uh, love that a mother has, right? There was a closeness, right? It is the mother who carried the child. That takes some love and some self-sacrifice and some tenderness there to deliver the child to go through the pain. He even talked a little bit in sort of a, a picture that they were laboring night and day Now, granted, we're going to get into what that's dealing with, but it is also kind of going back to this picture of nursing a child. Before you can nurse the child, you have to have the labor and the delivery. You have to have the full pain, the full everything that goes along with it for those nine months of carrying this child. Then, that child being dependent upon you, what must that mother do? Tenderly and lovingly feed and nurture that child closely, right? Amen, Ruger. That's right, (laughs) We see the same thing here, don't we? We couldn't ask for a better picture right now, could we? Here, a little child who's dependent on on mom, right? That's a beautiful noise in church. And here, this church at Thessalonica was Ruger, right? A little child who had been born, right? They had been born again spiritually. And now Paul says, me and Silas and Timothy, we were like nursing mothers to you. That is some care and some tenderness that only a mother could know, right? You might even hear phrases, and we talk about this, only a love that a mother could give sort of thing. And This is sort of the idea of what she gives. Thomas writes, The figure implies a special effort to protect and to provide for every need, even to the point of great sacrifice. It was not until I got older that I realized the sacrifice that my mother and father had made, but especially that of a mom. Mom often does the, the sacrifice that no one sees, Right? Dad might do the sacrifice of wakes up early, goes to work, comes back grumpy and tired, goes to bed, does the same thing, right? And and moms often do all the stuff that he's not doing, which is a whole lot at the house and everything else and raising the, the kid and all this stuff, right? And, and we were perfect little angels to be when we were getting raised up, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, not so much. So our mothers had to have some serious tenderness, some serious care, because you can't stop being a mother, can you? You just are. Once that child comes, that child is dependent upon you. And you have to put your wants, your wishes, your thoughts, your own desires, your own tiredness, your own sickness aside to take care of this newborn. Paul here is saying this is what we felt for you. This is showing a genuine love For the people there who are now new believers, but as well for the church of God and as well for the Lord himself, this tenderness of which he's willing to sacrifice himself for these other people. Morris writes, Paul's point is that a nurse would be expected to be caring with any children, but this would be especially in the case with her own. The verb caring means basically to warm. It is used of the mother bird in Deuteronomy 22.6 and so comes to have the secondary meaning to cherish, to care for tenderly. It is that like this. In this sort of metaphor, if you will, Paul is holding the church at Thessalonica. He's rocking it to sleep. He's nursing it and feeding it. He is loving it like a mother loves and cares for her own. She will protect the child. She will comfort the child no matter what time of day or night, no matter how she feels or doesn't feel. She will feed the child when the child needs feeding, clean the child when the child needs cleaning, Play with the child and the child needs playing. Whatever the need of that child might be, she is there to fulfill that need for that child. To raise it up. If it's cold, keep it warm. If it's too warm, make it cold. <laughs> the whole thing that a mother does for her child. This is what Paul says. This tender love and affection. He says, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Here's the thing hard preaching can also be gentle gentle does not necessarily mean that it has to be in a soft voice and a nice voice and with a great big smile but to give the truth and to give what is needed can be done in a gentle way of a tough love even at times a love that gives what is needed regardless of what is wanted right you provide what is needed not what is wanted here when we think about a child, once they turn three, four, five, six years old and they start getting a taste for candy, for sugars, for sweets, you know what they would eat all the time if you gave it to them? Sugars, candies, and sweets. You know what you and I would eat all the time if we knew that we weren't supposed to and our doctor or somebody would fuss at us or our wife or whatever it might be, right? We would, we would eat that. It's what we want. But What do we need? Right? We need nourishment. We need truth. So spiritually, what do we need? We need truth. We need nourishment. We need the milk and the meat of the Word here one commentator puts it this way similarly the diet of a parent christian is vitally important to the health of a newer christian the gentleness and unselfishness of paul as a spiritual parent shines through in this illustration here he shows why is paul able to nourish and to nurture these new believers because he himself has been nourished and nurtured by christ you can only take care of someone else as you are taken care of. Does that make sense? You can only pour out as long as you have stuff poured into you. And here's what happens. A lot of times um, what a mother might do, their father, right, they might pour and pour and pour and pour and pour, and, pour, and now they're running on empty, they're tired, they've got nothing else poured into them physically, they're just exhausted, they're just drained. Now think about this spiritually. Do you think you're going to be an effective minister or effective servant of God? If you've worked and, worked and worked and worked and worked and worked without ever being poured into. No. You can't pour out what you don't have in. Does that make sense? All right? It, I've got a little bit of water left in this bottle. I could pour it out. You want me to? Just for the, just kidding. Right now, Lucy's, some, no, don't do it. We, <laughs> we got to clean that up. No. Right? You think if I pour it out, though, and it's empty, then what else can I pour out? Nothing. You can only pour what is in there. So we have to make sure with new believers that what we're pouring into them, first of all, is right. But we will only pour into them what is right if we have what is in us right. Does that make sense? We need to make sure that we're bringing in the milk and the meat of the Word so that then we can feed and nurture and give the milk and the meat of the Word. And that's not just for the pastor. That's not just for the Sunday school teacher. That is for every one of you because as it was said earlier this week, every one of us needs a Paul, but every one of us needs a Timothy. All of us should be disciples, but all of us should be disciple-making. But let me put it this way. Every one of you that is a parent today, you have little disciples, whether you realize or not. You don't just have children. You have disciples. They are being trained by you daily. They are learning from you daily. They are watching you daily. All right? So we see you're training. Are we training properly? We have those who are new believers. How about this? Praise God. In the past six months, we've had a couple of folks who have been saved. Praise the Lord for that, right? But guess what that means? They're watching. They're learning. What are we teaching? Are we discipling? Are we nurturing? Are we giving what is needed? Uh, Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, 2, I wanted to give that for you. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Now he was writing that to the Corinthians because they should have been able to handle meat by then, but they can only handle the milk. Nevertheless, what we find is that the Word of God is given as this perfect picture of milk and meat. Now, here's what is needed when you're younger, right? You need the milk. As you get older, you need the meat. And so the longer you are saved, the deeper you should be able to go into the Word of God, and the higher your worship should go, and the further out your reach of being a disciple maker should be. That's for every single Christian in this room this morning that should look like us. But for those of us who are new believers, or for the new believers today, you are the ones who still yet need that nurturing, that, that burping, that feeding, that cleaning, that everything, because you're still learning. You still need the milk. But don't expect to get milk all the time. You're going to need to learn how to get some solid food. You need some puffs. You need some baby food. You need some of that good-looking green mashed-up peas, right? And then we can get you to the sirloins and the ribeyes and all that good stuff. But it takes time. But nevertheless, the progress should be made. If you've been saved for 30 years and can't handle meat, there is a problem. If you've been saved for five years and can't handle some meat, there is a problem. And I would say this as well. If you've been saved five years or 30 years or 35 years and you don't desire the meat, there is also a problem. If you've been saved... Longer than I've been alive, and you still want to be bottle-fed, there is an issue, right? Today, there is a wave of people who are doing some weird things like dressing up like babies for a living. Grown adults that dress up like babies, they wear adult diapers, they wear giant pacifiers and bonnets, and they have a giant crib in their room. You can look this up. People are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? They're out there. And they live this life and they have people that take care of them. And they think because just like you got, you got people that identify as cats and dogs, people that identify as babies, full grown adults. You and I who have been saved for more than five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, should not continue identifying as children. Paul said he put away childish things. He's a man. Give me steak. I don't need dino nuggets and french fries. I want the ribeye and the baked potato. Give me the meat. That should be our goal here. Now look at verse 8. While they're in that state, Paul says I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to nurture you as a nurse shares with her children. Going to be caring and giving because it takes some care. It takes some concern. And look at verse 8. We see that Paul then defends and expresses his deep care for the Thessalonians. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you. The idea of affection. He, he cares. He longs for them. He loves them. If you have ever read the Pauline epistles, any of Paul's letters, what do you often find? I long to see you. I'm looking forward uh, to being with you. I pray to see you again. Or I'm sending someone in my stead to comfort you or to deliver a letter to you. Or I'm praying that we'll meet again. I remember you daily in my prayers, night and day. I'm thankful for this. Remember, he's been a whole first chapter 10 verses going, I'm thankful for you for these things. That's affectionate care. That's an affectionate desiring for them. He says, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. He says, I don't want to just give you truth. Yes, the truth of the gospel will change you. It will challenge you. It will complete you. It will nourish you. It will allow you to grow up and bear fruit. And that's what had had happened so far in the Thessalonian church. But he says, if I could even give you my own soul, that's what I would give you. We're talking about care. We're talking about concern. You want to talk about a love and affection for somebody. That's it right there. Uh, Here, the word translated as affectionately desirous essentially means to long after another. Moreover, Paul bared his heart to them. He wrote that they were willing to have imparted not only the gospel to them, but their very souls. The reason was simple, because you were dear unto us. He thus reminds them of their love and concern for them. There was not an ounce of insincerity in them. You're not going to be willing not only to give the gospel, but even your own soul for another unless you actually care for them. The hireling... When the wolf comes, flees. The hireling, when uh, challenges come, packs his bags and goes. Right? The one who doesn't really care. The one who doesn't really have a concern. The gone. The one who does care. Think about this. You go back to verse 7, talking about that, that nursing, cherishing as, as, a, as a mother, if you as a nurse cherisheth her children. Think about that. That's what Paul just dis, uh, had just declared. And then in verse 8 he says, I'm affectionately desirous of you, right? Willing to give you not just the gospel, but even my own self because you're dear unto us. We clearly see that someone who is able to say that and live that, there's no insincerity in them. I would wonder today if when others look at our life, if they see such sincerity for their souls, that we would be willing to give up anything that they would come to know Christ, that we would be willing to give up anything that they might walk closer with Him, that we might be be willing to give up anything, that the gospel might be proclaimed to the nations. But notice this as well: not only is he desiring and, and longing for them, but notice this: you're only going to long for somebody and have this affectionate desire for them if you know them. He knew them. He had walked with them. He had cared for them, deep from his even his own very soul. Is what he says. Furthermore, we find that the church was dear to them and the affectionate relationship was that of the mother-child relationship as we had kind of seen. It kind of builds on this in verses 7-9, through 9, this sort of idea of this deep and longing affection and care for them. Like that relationship, it is one that is selfless because you can't truly want and be willing to give your own soul for another if you're selfish, right? Those two statements are polar opposites, right? It is a selfish person that says, I'm willing to give you the gospel, but not myself. Right. It is a selfless person that says, I'm willing not only to give you the gospel, but even my own soul. How about this? It is also self-denying. I'm not only willing to give you the gospel, but even my own self, meaning I don't matter. Paul went through so much. If you remember when the establishment of the church of Thessalonica had happened, he had just been persecuted. Then he establishes the church there and gets persecuted and driven away. That's where he goes to the Bereans and then to, uh, um, all the way throughout and continues preaching the word and all these things. We see that no matter what came his way, no matter what persecution came, no matter what uh, was trying to stop him, he kept pressing forward for the gospel because he had died to self, self-denial, but as well as self-giving. He does not just want to give them what they what they need, which is the Gospel, but He wants to give even Himself if it means that they will come to know Christ all the more and would continue to grow and be nurtured and would continue to be the influence of which He said that they had been. Remember back in chapter 1, He had said that they had been uh, the ones who had sounded the Gospel throughout their entire region for that care that they had for the Gospel and for the way in which they lived. Paul says, I would give myself for you, my very soul for you. Then not only... Desired to give them the gospel, but willing to give themselves to the church. This is what real love for the church looks like. And by the way, this is what real church membership looks like. Membership is the idea with the church of a marriage even. that We are the bride of Christ, but now within, when you and I join a church, it is not just a have a name and a church name listed in our obituary. Nor is it to give us some sort of freedom or power to be able to vote every now and again to either vote some idiot out or to vote another idiot in. (laughs) No. Nor is it so that way you can have somebody send you flowers or a card and you get sick. That's some perks. Membership is a self-denial. It is a giving of oneself. It is a selfless thing to be a true church member. It is one that where you no longer care for yourself and your wants and your wishes more than others, but rather now you give your own life for the church. You give your own soul for other believers. Somewhere along the line, we've lost that. We made it, one, far too easy to join a church. Two, We then took church membership and said it doesn't mean near as much. It just means you can vote and you can just move it around as you see fit. It means something. It meant something to Paul. It meant something to the early church to be a member because you were not just a member on a piece of paper, but you became a member physically. You knew one another. You cared for one another. You gave to one another. You helped one another. You would deny yourself for one another. You would not, as Philippians tells us in in Philippians uh, chapter 2, that you would not look on your own things, but you would begin to look on the things of others. You would not do anything for self-glory or vain glory. You would do it for the glory of God and and for the help of others. This is what it should look like for you and I. It's what it looked like for Paul. It's what it looked like for the early church. And then in verse number 9, he moves on he's ta- he's been talking about how he, they're dear to him he cares for them he is showing his sincerity and his faithfulness and his commitment to the church of god not just to the church of Thessalonica but to the very church of god he says in verse 9 for ye remember notice paul's not trying to give them something new here he's pointing them back to what they already know what we already know matters We often talk about getting some sort of new revelation or new idea or new this or new that. We don't need new. We need to remember what God has already given. We need to remember what God has already said and declared. We need to remember these things. This is what 1 John had dealt with as we had gone through. This is what Paul goes. He says, remember what you saw. Remember what you heard. Remember what you've seen. Remember what you've dealt with. Remember what you already know. He says this, that Paul reminds the readers of the great labor and work that was given to them as the gospel was preached to them. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preach unto you the gospel of God. Morris here writes, Paul calls on his readers to remember the toil and hardship that the preachers had endured. If there's a distinction between the two terms, toil, Uh, uh, kapos will point to the weariness involved in labor while uh, makthos meaning as the translation indicates hardship is the idea they endured hardship weariness they were tired physically spiritually they had poured themselves out for these new believers and it's the idea that he literally says they worked night and day tirelessly giving themselves to the church JFB writes, the Greek for labor means hardship and bearing. That for travail, hardship is in doing. The former toil with the utmost solicitude, the latter, and being wearied with fatigue. They were wore out. They had worked their fingers to the bone, if you will, to provide for the church, meet the needs of the church, spiritually, physically. Sorensen helps to bring out some of this that is, uh, sort of implied here with the life of the Apostle Paul as we look through other portions of his life and ministry. Swanson writes, Implied was Paul's uh, business of tent making as well as the opposition he received from the Jews. Let's pause there for a moment. Paul, he, even here in verse 9, he says, we would not be chargeable unto any of you. He wasn't going and preaching for his own gain, or for monetary gain. He wasn't showing up and saying, hey Thessalonians, I'll be in town and I'm only going to do it for a love offering or I'll set my price or this, that, and the other You know, I need need this or need that for me to come preach. No, he just went and even worked as a tent maker providing to make ends meet. And everything that Paul did was not just provide for himself, but was always not for his gain, but rather for the furtherance of the gospel, for the help of the saints, for the uh, growth of the local church. Sorensen continues, he says, he goes on to remind them how they worked night and day because they would not be chargeable unto any of you. The grand thought is that they as missionaries sought to not be a financial burden to the ones they were trying to reach. It'd be like this. It'd be like if the Lord called you to be a missionary to Timbuktu. Right? Y'all know where that's at? It's over in Dugsburg. (laughs) Right? You got Timbuktu... You show up, and, and guess what? You show up and you say, Hey, everybody, I'm here to help y'all out, to establish a church, but I'm going to need you guys all to fit the bill, all right? I know you're poor. I know you've got nothing. I know you have no education, and your jobs barely provide you enough to eat uh, three times a week, uh, but I'm going to need you to give me your money so well, I can do this. Does that sound good? Does that sound fair? No. Then people in Timbuktu, D- Dugsburg are going to say no. They're going to say no. Paul said, I'm not coming on your dime. I'll work if need be. I'll take the ownership. I'll do what needs to be done to make sure that the gospel is preached, that the church is established, that the church is strengthened, doing whatever it takes. He didn't want to be a burden to the people he's trying to reach, and neither should we. Sorensen continues, he says, from that position, they preached unto the Thessalonians the gospel of God. For the third time in this chapter, the apostle uses the phrase the gospel of God. It carries no unusual implication. However, he perhaps wishes to remind his readers the source of the gospel. It is God's gospel. It is God's word. It is God's work. It is God's will. It is God's church. It is God's people. This belongs to God. It is not Paul's church at Thessalonica. It is not the first church of Paul. It is not the first Baptist church of Paul. It is nothing to do with him. It is God's. It is not even Paul's message. It is God's. And even when other portions of his writings say, my gospel, who is he, what is he talking about? Where did he get his gospel from? From Christ himself. From the Lord himself. It belongs to him. Paul was just a tool and an instrument in the hand of God. And you and I should be as well. You and I are not called so that anyone would know our name. It has been said, I don't remember who off the top of my head, had said, um, preach the gospel, die Be forgotten. That was the life of, of Paul to some degree, except of course now he is celebrated because of how God used him. But ultimately it is not for your name, my name, or our glory, not even our church's name or glory's sake. They did all that they could to do to make sure that the truth of the gospel went forth and that the church was built biblically. Why? Because? It is the Gospel of God that saves, sanctifies, and glorifies. The Gospel of God is the power of God to build His church. So what do we need today? The Gospel of God. We need to make sure that as we approach that we are willing ourselves to not only be sincere, but to be self-sacrificial to make sure that all who we know, all who we love, all who we don't know and don't love can come to know Christ, through the gospel of God. The gospel is worth it. Christ is worth it. The church, the local church, the body of Christ is worth it. Souls are worth it. What are we willing to do to make sure that we care for the church of God, that we care for lost and dying sinners? What are we willing to do for the gospel of God? Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time.